example, this is a tier one contract. They're one of the biggest ones in the construction industry. Oh my God. Um, and he said, get him in here, get him to sign that book. If he signs in, we're, we're laughing. We just say he's come back in and we just want a bit of rest time off. And I was just like, nah, I, I refuse to. And that's why I, I did refuse to. I said, that's that not on, on my watch as such. And, um, and then that was it. Hello and welcome to Tales from the Hook. My name is Katie Kelleher, aka Katie Cranes, and I am going to be your host for the next half an hour. In this podcast, I'm going to be deep diving into the construction industry. I'm going to be looking into topics such as skills, apprenticeships, some interesting life journeys, and everything in between. Who knows what may happen? This podcast has been very kindly sponsored by our friends over at Libra. If you want to find out more about Libra's products or brilliant innovations, please click the link at the bottom. Today's podcast, I'd like to welcome Steve Kerslake, owner and founder of Construction Sport, a man who has worked in the construction industry for the last 17 years, who is actively tackling mental health and well-being in construction. And in his own words, just that groundworker trying to change the whole industry. Firstly, Steve, congratulations on six years of construction sport. And yes, welcome. thank you. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? Just a few days ago, it popped up. That was, uh, yeah, six years of still trying to find out how to do it. <laughs> six years of research, we say. I, I did notice it. I noticed it when I was uh, stalking your LinkedIn earlier that you had yeah. six years of it. So I uh, congratulations yeah. on that. Thank you. But I guess what I want to start with, before we go into construction sport and all the brilliant things that you were doing there, I want to start with your journey into construction. So you've been working in construction for 17 years now. Yeah. So quite quite a stint from both. Yeah. So I, I just want you to take me through it, where you kind of started and how we got to where we are now, I guess. Yeah, I started, I worked for a window fixing company called JNS Fixing back in the day. And I come off of a football pitch when I was 16 years old. And a friend of mine's dad said, Steve, what's your plans when you leave school? And I said, I haven't got a clue. He said, well, you said you've got a couple of weeks and it's happening. So I said, well, have you got anything for me? And he said, yep, yeah, I'm coming to the building site. And uh, yeah, I think even between my exams as well, my GCSEs, I was should have been revising, should we say, but I was on a building site um fixing glass big glass panels and it brilliant actually now looking back it, it was great it was very much a real life alveda same pet um with the myself bulgarian guy and albanian guy lad from bermondsey um and we we're just going around the country just and a mate of mine as well his dad um went from southampton to cardiff to sunderland all corners of the uk and like We'd get our 50 quid at the end of the day and it should say can I have a sub every single day and then we'd go in the pub that evening and spend it all basically. So that was um yeah, my my construction career started and that was it was great. Went and registered the CIS scheme straight away. I remember then I actually had to go to a place in Chelmsford. I remember going in and registering for a CIS card. There was a, an actual card then. Um got that, yeah, and then started going around. I think that was in then round the first in my memories all over the shop, too many knocks to the head, should we say, but the uh 2008-ish, I think the recession 
played a bit of a part in that area and there was a bit of a struggle there. Um, and I dipped out and I actually went and had a bit of time away skiing. Um, I spent four months in Austria. It was um, time of my life. And yeah, when life didn't have to be serious, that was awesome. Come back, fell into um, car sales, as I briefly mentioned to you off camera, um, found in that career. And then um, we'll move on with that one quickly. And then ended up back in construction. I actually went with the car sales, actually. I come out of car sales and then I knew it wasn't my area of expertise, should we say. Um, and I ended up going for commercial sales vehicles because I thought that sounds quite cool. And I, I know a bit about construction and it sounds like I could just sell vans to my mates. Um, so I got a job at Ford and, and Ford actually said to me, can you start in, say, six weeks' time? Um, so I'd worked my notice. I got gardening leave, I think, as if I was like some financial guru, but um, I was literally just a scrope in a car, in a suit. Um, and then, uh, yeah, during that time, a mate of mine said, Steve, if you've got four or five weeks of gardening leave, do you want to come on site with me? He said, I said, yeah, okay, no worries. So what are you doing? He said, groundworks. Um, and then I ended up um, going back on the tools um, or getting on the tools, doing the driveways and patios and stuff like that. And then that led from doing that, I then went away to another ski season and then come back again from that. And then I ended up going, a mate of mine said, Steve, we've got a load of big plant, big machines and that. Do you want to get involved with us? We know you're keen to work. And um, yeah, got in the groundworks game, probably 20, uh, properly the heavy civils kind of stuff, 20, around 17, 18, probably 19 then actually, I suppose. And yeah, that was the construction side of it. And then that, it just, I loved it. It was just big diggers smashing up stuff, really. And I think that it was really that inner child of, yeah, I've got a little boy now. I noticed it in him. I was like, that was me at 17 years old. It's, it's brilliant. And I love it. And and it's just the laugh that comes with it, isn't it? As I think the uh, the camaraderie and yeah. <laughs> I'd say the banter or the abuse. It, I, I love it. I think it, I think it's brilliant. And we Within reason, obviously, and then respectfully. Um, yeah, went through that. And then again, in terms of that, ended up um, throughout all this, in terms of my mental health journey, we all run alongside that, shall we say. Um, and then I'll come back to that bit. I'll go for the career side of it. But yeah, it ended up, um, I lost a lot of time, nearly the best part of two years, probably 18 months over two years that I didn't work really properly because I was in and out of hospital with um, a number of operations. And then I wanted to make up for lost time. And I don't know why, but I always remember thinking I had kind of self-targets of having a house by the age of 30 and things like this or being moved out. And um, and I've kind of in myself, being at that low point of life, realised there's not enough time like the present. You've just got to go for it. And um, and I did. And I, I found out that I need to get a PTS card. I want to go work on the railway. And I, work in, I want to work days. I want to work nights. And I want to work weekends. I just want to make up for lost time. And uh yeah, got me a permit to shovel on the railway, as they called it, the PTS card. And then, um, and then yeah, I, I went around to a, um, there was a, rail, a railway company, a company called RTG, a little plug for them because they're brilliant. They, they helped me till today. But they she said, um, I thought, I need to give them a call. And I thought, no, nah, I'm not going to call them. I said, because I'll just get fobbed off. I'll just be another phone call. I said, if I just go and walk in their office, they can't really kick me out, can they? So I walked around there because I was on leave anyway, like sick leave still. And I was like, I've got a bit of time before I can go back on site, but I could probably make some use of myself. <laughs> Um, and I walked in there and there's a guy to stay, a guy called Dave Murrell, and um and looked at him, the size of him. I just thought, I know you from somewhere. And it turns out yeah, he was running over me the week before playing rugby. And um yeah, and then uh, he and he wanted to help me out. And it's just that kind of rugby community merged into the railway community. And um and yeah, they got me in the railway, went from then a big job for Volker Fitzpatrick in um North London, and then went from the rail depot, Hornsey, and then went from there to Crossrail. Um yeah, it was number like the seven or eight, I think, inducted on the Crossrail Anglia side of things. So from Shenfield to Stratford, oh, wow. we were there when the first kind of palace or first bit of Harris fencing went up in a, in a compound sort of thing. And uh, 
yeah, I was there for the best part of four or five years, I think. Um, and that was brilliant. I ended up going direct work with Costains whilst I was on there. Um, left them in the end, got my mortgage sorted out last, and then went on to back into the freelance world, worked for Buckland Plant, worked for Murphy's, Kia's. Yeah, all the big companies smashing up big stuff, really. I just wanted to be part of it. And yeah, develop the, yeah it's a inner passion, really. I didn't realise how passionate I was about it until I started getting young. What with was your people. position there, Steve? Uh, I was kind of well. What was, was your, what was your cost, position? Yeah, I was a foreman at Costains. Um, I was a foreman at Costains, uh, section foreman for Kears and Murphys at Deepham's big sewage treatment plant. Um, yeah, they went to Buckham's as a works manager, actually. Um, as we say, winged it over there. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, just done that really. You just went from place to place. But I always knew there was always kind of a there's a real, real important, especially in the freelance world, you just keep your your little black book healthy sort of thing. Yeah, those contacts in there because, like I say, you never know when things like COVID are going to creep up and you might need that book. Um, oh. Yeah. Do you know what? Important. It's really weird you're saying that about networking and contacts because I was talking on my last podcast even with Christina we were talking about the importance of networking and the importance of like you said that black book and keeping friendly with people and not burning these bridges and you know when things do go wrong to just say have you got something for me to do is yeah definitely I've done that during COVID actually I I wrote something so that would cost things actually I said I need some help I've literally, I've done a bit with Grams actually and Osborne's on and off at the start of it um, on the motorway stuff, um, highways works. And then Costain had a local job and they have got a local job to me. And um, I spoke to them and they had a 10 week um, road closures on nights. And I was like, that'd be a do, a bit, do a bit of me. And I actually had to go in as a ground worker again, just because that was all there was. And then there was COVID and, and there was no positions yeah. for a general foreman there. I, I was getting beasted day in, day out. I was like, I'm not cut out for this anymore. <laughs> and I just had to shut up and get on with it because you never knew what was around the corner. And you thought, yeah. And um yeah, don't get me wrong, COVID, I think that's one, well, to me, I always say to it, COVID, well, construction is one of the best industries in the world, personally, because I didn't have any busier times in my life than during COVID. There was, because you just took everything and anything, didn't you? It was like, make hay while the sun shines, yeah. just because we don't know what's around there. And yeah, we've done quite a lot of bit on there. Funny enough, quite a small world. I, know when I was old, over Old Oak Common, actually, um, over there on the Crossrail Depot next to the HS2, Old Oak Common Depot. Um, okay. And then I was actually a liaison manager between the two of those for six months between the um, wow. enabling works. And, yeah, it was down to me to kind of email the HS2 guys and they let me know what they wanted and I'd liaise with the live depot um, and let them know what wanted. It sounds like a very important job right about two emails it does sound very it sounds like you've had a, a very varied construction history and i yeah, think definitely. you know um, we can say the i didn't choose the construction life the construction life chose me <laughs> definitely and that's what it was definitely yeah there's a title for them there's a title for it. yeah yeah <laughs> yeah construction life across tattooed across my stomach yeah <laughs> <laughs> you could have that i'll let you have that you can have that <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was literally that. It, 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 someone got in touch with me, so I had that. And like I say, it was a, it was a fancy title, quite important job. And I, but I had like two emails a day to kind of look after. There wasn't much to do, but um, but obviously it was two big emails if anyone asked. Um, yeah, and yeah, as I just Very got cool. the yeah to this thing, and I've developed the big passion for it all, and I ended up. Yeah, I suppose in a way that I started resenting the industry in the end. I got pulled into probably quite a lot of high-level meetings across different jobs. I probably wasn't cut out to be in, but was anyone, I suppose. But 
I just saw things happening. I thought, that isn't right. And we'd be on a job with 400 people and the director turns around and says, everybody make that 200 next week. And was like, what? We need to cut money. We need to cut money quick. And I was like, well, yeah. And, then, and, I was like, and I remember all the agencies come together. I'm not going to name drop them, but they were like, this is a situation. We've got to find 200 people work next week. These people are all employed us. And it was a real issue at the time. And then to that, there's little things. And we had a lad fall over and break his rib. Um, and he was late 60s, old boy. And um, I got in the ambulance with him, took him to hospital. Um, he couldn't work again on that site. They wouldn't let him work on it after that because they said he was vulnerable adult to his age. And it was, I was asked to bring him in. I was asked to literally say, get him in tomorrow. Do whatever you can to get him in so we don't have to literally fill out the riddle. And I literally was like, what? They were like, can Gosh. you get him in? Just get him in here and sign the book. This is a tier one contract. They're one of the biggest ones in the construction industry. Oh, my God. Um, and he said, get him in here, get him to sign that book. If he signs in, we're, we're laughing. We just say he's come back in and we just want a bit of rest time off. And I was just like, nah, I refuse to. And that's why I did refuse to. I said, that's not happening on, on, on my watch as such. And um, and then that was it then. I started just seeing all this stuff. And we had, the whole site was shut one day because it snowed. And a guy come in to do the um, like laminate flooring in this, this one single office on his own. And then I said that everyone else can't be in. I said, I'm free hearts worker. I'll, I'll be in. I'm like, Don't worry about that. We'll find a way in. Um, yeah. So I come in. I said, that if you, we need that job done. So if you want to crack on, I'm here. I'll oversee you. It's me and you and that's it. I said, I'm pretty much, I'm in the building. And he only had a, he only had a big heavy high of his jacket on. And he took it off uh, just so he cracked on because the room has to be a certain temperature to do that stuff. And it was really warm. Yeah. And I said, yeah, take it. Man. I said, I'm here. There's no, there's no machine. There's no plant. There's nothing that... If you said the rule book, it says a PP in there, but I'm like, there's two of us. The site is shut because it's snowed. And would you believe that the health and safety manager wanted to make sure that the office knew he was out in the snow and come in and made an absolute scene of the fact that this guy didn't have his high-vis jacket on and he was wearing no PPE whatsoever. And I just thought, but he went on site. He was absolutely fine about it. And there's the Monday morning report that she said it or something the following day. And I just thought, you, yeah, let's just, let's not, not assault him. So this is what... <laughs> So these kind of things, I guess these things that you saw lifted the veil on the construction industry a bit for you. Took the shine off of it. We'll say. Yeah. I just started going down a route that I was being caught up in this corporate spin that I just didn't like. And I didn't so much didn't like. It just went against all my morals and what I've been brought up and raised to to work to kind of live by in a way. I don't remember, we're not I'm not that family like these are our family morals, you will stick to this. But just a lot of stuff where it's just like this isn't right. You know what I mean? This is people's lives and this is people's yeah. stuff. And you're literally, there's no due care for the fact that this guy's got two young kids at home and you don't even know he's got two young kids at home. And one of those kids in hospital every week, Devin's certain things done and you don't even know. Like, And you literally, not you don't know, you don't yeah. even care. You know what I mean? And oh, as a foreman role, I was doing probably when I was 21. So go, go right, I suppose, go right back for you really. But where my kind of head started spinning, shall we say. But I was caught up in, I had sulfuric acid thrown on me on in 2008. And that kind of, um, that was 2008, 2009. I was caught up in a, an incident on a, um, on a Friday night, literally wrong place, wrong time, some may say. And um, and I stuck up for three innocent people and I ended up getting a rap of a, um, someone who was, uh, shall we say, not a very nice citizen, um, threw a bottle of acid at me. And it, and it done me in quite a bit. Uh, a lot of people say it straight me looks up, I've been told by uh, a lot of my colleagues on site um, <laughs> the, uh, over the years. And um, 
yeah, my name become Acid Steve, and it wasn't because of the fact I love house music. It was more of a, <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah. So that was, but that was that was the banter's of construction. That, it was hilarious. I found it quite funny, yeah. but I can't say that. Just say like, yeah, let, let it go. But I ended up got through it. That laughing got me through it. Enjoy myself got me through it, and all that stuff was great fun. And you just go with it. And but it it beat me up inside a bit, and I couldn't sleep properly after about six yeah. months. I noticed that my sleep patterns weren't right, and my, my missus was actually saying to me that you need to see someone. So I went to a doctor's reluctantly as a 20 year old and said, I have not sleep, slept well properly for a long, long time now. And I don't know what to do. And it's just playing, it's playing havoc with my daytime, my job sort of thing. I'm a bit fatigued and stuff. And um, I got given three sessions of counseling and I got diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder at the end of that. And I never disrespected it because it was more, it was NHS funded and I had three sessions told it. And it wasn't a fact that they just let me go. So I used to say that, so they let me go. They didn't care. But now looking at it, I'm like 21 years old, I'm 20 years old. I had no interest in being held down by a mental health issue. I just wanted to crack on and enjoy myself. So I ended up drinking. Well, I've been known to like a drink anyway. I'm not going to say I've stopped and I'm absolutely fine now, but I do like a good, a good shandy bash, shall we say. But um, I noticed that heavily drinking or working my absolute socks off and fatiguing my body was the answer. And I managed to sleep well then. And I was like, this is the answer. I can sleep well now. And that was um, self, uh, pretty much what I didn't realize the self destruct buttons are smashing everyone and everything around you, really. And there, uh, you literally sleep fatigue. You just don't care what anyone says or anyone thinks of you. Like the body embarrassment of the night out, the fear of the beer fear, just don't care. I was like, I'm sleeping. I really don't care. Um, that went on for a good few years and I started dropping weight and I started having a few internal problems, shall we say, bleeding of the stomach, to put it to it lightly. Um, and I got went to see the doctor about that. And again, it come up and a few mates said, Steve, you've done weight. And I started realizing I couldn't shake off injuries and bruises from rugby and things like that. I just couldn't shake them off. Um, and I felt like an old man in a way. And um, the boys pushed me and pushed me and said, you got to go in there. But my wife, even more, she was the strongest one out of it. And she just turned around one day. We had concrete pour happening. And I said to her pretty much, I can't, I've got to go to work. We've got concrete today. You can't have a day off when there's concrete. I said, there's no chance. I said, even the cleaners getting a shuffle today. Don't worry about that. I said, everyone's in on it. And um, and then they turned around and pretty much said, um, my wife said, well, girlfriend at the time, she said, uh, you're not going in. And she went out to the boys in the van. don't know what she said to them, but their towels went between their legs and they, oh, they drove off the van. I drove off of the driveway. So, um, and then I went into hospital that day and um, come out 10 weeks later. And um, I'd actually had what was known as ulcerative colitis, it's called. Um, it's pretty much ulcers of the intestine. Um, that is very much built on, um, uh, which literally like Crohn's disease is from your mouth to your small intestine and then ulcerative colitis is your large intestine and your colon. Um, I had my stomach completely removed and I was, yes, installed a bag onto my stomach for the next 18 months to two, uh, yeah, just 20 months, I think it was, something like that. And on that, But from that, oh, the lads, fortunately, the company that I was working with were great to me and he's a great mate of mine still to this day actually coming to work for. And um, and he said, Stevie, he pretty much said that you we, we want you on the job still. We, we As soon as you're fit and ready, come back on. He said, don't worry, we won't put you on the tools, but we'll put you as your supervisor, put you as a supervisor. Um, we'll get you through your triple SDS straight away. And the fair place, and they funded that, and they've done it straight away. Um, but what I started realising was I was a 21-year-old supervisor on a site, so I wasn't quite foreman level, should we say. I was more of a gang, I was saying, for, in between a gang and a foreman, I suppose, somewhere in the middle there. And then... Um, 
I started realizing at first it, it come tough and it was, you got the stick and you was this 21 year old in a way it was, he was a 21 year old flash area. He thinks he's a supervisor. And I'll just be clear as day and lift up my, I'll lift up my t-shirt and say, I'm only here because of this. And then they go, whoa, whoa, whoa what is that? And um, yeah, and, and, and literally, yeah, as sick as we are. But um, but then they started realising, I started realising they had the ump would give me a lot of abuse and a lot of stick and and it was like sink or swim, really. And I realised if I went into the office and said to them, look, the boys ain't happy on site because they haven't got this. And then I got it for them. So it could be half hour overtime or it could be there's no water in the middle of summer or something like that. And I started answering these questions that the boys had on the, on the ground. And then I started to win their respect with that. And I was like, oh, I'm into say, if I can just spoil the boys on the ground with whatever I can get from above, I'm winning their respect here. Yeah. And I've only really, really identified that probably in the last few months, really. And I'm like, that's probably what I'm trying to do now still. I'm still just chasing, pleasing the guys down the bottom. You know what I mean? Just trying, what can I do? What can I do? And um, yeah, and it's and yeah. it's just them from there, and just seeing that you know, twenty one year old, twenty one years old in, in a position that I say I was probably un, under what was the word? Pretty un, well, yeah, what wasn't was wasn't wise enough to do. But I was just told, yeah, the guy said to me actually, they're the friend of my dad who run the company. He said, just walk around with your little book, Steve, and just write down all the little things you don't think's right, and all the little problems on site, and then bring them back in, and we can go through them. And they they just always just threw them away, and then I'd argue them. But um, yeah, that was pretty much my like self talk nice. play. Of, it's nice they helped you out though. Yeah, big it's time. Nice yeah, they I, helped I, you out with a position that um, kept you working. I I think you seem very much like myself, and you use yeah. humour a lot to cover yeah. some quite obviously dark situations that happened yeah. to you and things you went through, which and I, and I'm I'm exactly the same. I I laugh a lot of things off, and just because it's it's easier and it's a bit of a protective mechanism for me, I think. And um, yeah. but I, I I would imagine those times were a lot, lot harder than you're letting on. And what yeah. I'm thinking is, is it those times that kind of led on to your mental health journey? Is that where it, it kind of triggers for you? Yeah, I there's little things actually, probably as I've said before, but I remember laying in the hospital bed one day and just realized, and I remember being in that bed at night whilst being poured by morphine down every few hours, whatever, as much as I could. And I remember promising myself to, in a certain degree, that whenever you think something's tough in life, remember tonight. And then that is kind of what's got me through it. I had 52 staples down the front of my stomach and then my abdomen had literally been, yeah, opened right up. And then, and then I, yeah, and that feeling, I always, and I'll never forget that. And that was, if you think life's tough now, just, if you think life's tough in the future, just think back to tonight. And that's one thing I always do. And, even to this day, it's realising that. And we all get caught up with the mental health side of things. And I'm no fixed article. I've seen specialists over the last few years just to literally just kind of get a few things in line because I've literally took a few things home that I didn't want to be home. I lost I lost a cousin um, at a young age and that kind of tied in at the same time as my little boy was born. And that sent my head into a complete frenzy because I didn't know whether to be happy for the birth of my son or or sad because my me, me cousin's three wards, yeah. three doors down the ward sort of thing, given, being to, given a last right sort of thing. And I was numb at that point, completely numb. And I remember, I'm an emotional guy, big time. You know, there's a few people about talks to do and I've ended up crying my eyes out most of the time. But um, um, it was just one of those, and I was numb at that point, and I knew something's not right here. And I've got like emotional deficiency. I was like, my dad's 20 stod stone probably. His earlobes run into his collarbone sort of thing. He looks like Ray Winston. He drives a back taxi in London, um, and he can't watch 90 seconds of a sound of music without crying his eyes out. He's just like that guy. <laughs> <laughs> 
and, I, and I'm exactly the same person in a way. And um, but I do it now, and I notice it, and I started thinking about it. And even like, yeah, you say I'm biggest laugh and joke. I love it. I just don't have time for there's bad times out there and they happen and then when they happen we have them but there's I yeah. think a lot of the stuff in our lives we need to appreciate and I can't do serious situations in corporate worlds that's probably why I'm doing this really because I sit in these meetings and I was all I remember being on cross route and we're in the room with a handed back on um, a little bit over time so it was a little, I think there was a little bit of a financial um, implications on it or whatever and the Monday morning everyone was nervous in this room and I just remember being the first person in there just going can anyone just let me know what the name of the guy was and who was that I went it seems like someone's clearly died here. I said, because we're acting like we're at a funeral. And then um, and it just broke the ice in the room. And uh, yeah, like the elephant in the room sort of thing. And um, but I was like, this isn't any reason to it. Like, we've done the job. Everyone's safe. What does it matter? These pots of money are there to cover losses and delays and stuff. So why are we acting like this? But it's even to a point, again, with that, I was away only a few weeks ago, of all times, actually, Um and I was on a very big high actually that week because we had the documentary that went out on TV. Um, that went out and everything Which was, was fabulous. I will yes, say. thank you. BBC One, Coping Construction. You did, we, I, I know we're, I'm sidelining you here, but I, I actually I did watch it and it was, it gave me one, it gave me a real insight into you. Yeah. And why you do what you do. And it gave me a real insight into construction sport, which if I'm, if I'm frank with you, I didn't quite understand before. Yeah before yeah. watching the documentary and I didn't quite understand how it touched people and how it affected people and what a difference you made and yeah. you do that and and it was really it was really you did fantastic honestly it was a, it was yeah. a really good watch and if anyone's listening they should look it up yeah. on BBC iPlayer because yeah. it's it's, it's well worth watching I've, I thought I was famous, but I, I'm not. I'm not going to lie. I, I did ask the lady at Highways UK last week when I logged in. She asked for my name. And I did say, I said, you clearly already know it. And she said, no, then no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> and I just went with it for about five minutes going, you do. Come on, don't joke. You definitely do. It's me. Like, oopsie one. <laughs> it was. It wasn't Travis Perkins who got your name wrong, was it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Lee Rowland. That's another one. Good Lord. Don't get me on that one. She called you Lee, did she? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the amount of messages I've got private message from people. It was online, and all everyone's going, leave it out, leave it like, leave them alone, and all this. Yeah, <laughs> but that 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 yeah, just on that one actually, we'll go into that. that's quite entertaining that story. But so Travis Perkins have literally promoted online that they're supporting me or supported the, the documentary and pushed it out, <laughs> and they've had nothing to do with me. And all they've do with me is they. Yeah, it's a very all what happens with Travis Perkins in my relationship is I spent a hundred thousand pounds in last year on block paving, um, and they've never had any involvement in that. They've never taken any interest in it. Maybe it's just because we're not that big and they didn't realise we've got that side of it. But I was like, don't just pretend you're interested. So I tweeted it. I linked, linked in it. I put everything out there. I put as much as I could just to literally some people because I see it day in, day out of people pretending they're actually caring and they're not. And that's a huge, huge problem at the moment. And we've realised that in the last few weeks that behind the curtains or behind the shop window, there really is nothing going on and it's quite terrifying. But they didn't even come back to me again. It's getting better, Steve. You no, touching on that, you don't. I mean, no. uh, you don't think that you know these corporate companies, these big contractors. You don't think it's getting any better. I think we're putting a lot of stuff out there. We're really, really aware. I'm very much like we're done with awareness, but we need to realise in terms of a strategy, the figures are getting worse and worse and worse. Now, in, on the face of it, it, looks like we're doing a lot, and we are talking about it a lot. But what are we doing to stop these people doing stuff? 
doing these stupid things. And we know society and culture and how tough the world is. And it is coming to light and people are talking about it. I've had close mates of mine off the back of just some of the stuff, even off the documentary, she just saying that away from the industry, just fair play. And then they've said to me a few things. I'm like, good Lord, I didn't even know. So people are talking about it. But I think we really have got to realise the bigger picture is the figures aren't improving. And until they do, then we can't. I've got two bugbearers in a way. Yeah. It's funny you're mentioning mentioning yeah. the figures, Steve. I'm just going to throw this out here while we're on it because I read on your website some figures, which which shocked me. And it was 760 suicides every year, 70 million days lost to mental health, and people in construction are three times more likely to commit suicide. Yeah. And I just think I just think that should just sit with people because that's that's shocking. Yeah. Sorry, well, I totally is... interrupted your your two bugbears yeah. there. I'll let you move yeah, no. on, but I think it's no, just it's good because this, this, yeah, this leads me on to the next one. This leads on to the next one now. Now we had a good we had some good statistics behind that where we got that stuff from them, the website guys and the guys who helped me in the market. Well, they got it all. And then I was told two a day killing themselves, two a day, two a day, two a day. We just the BBC have got in touch with me and they've had complaints because the Office of National Statistics have said to them, that's incorrect. It's not the right. It's 450-something or something like that. So we're now in a position where the ONS are saying one thing. I think mates in mind gave that stat to the BBC. We don't know where the hell that's come from. Who's made who's made that one? Or how have we got to that point? And then the HSC spoke to me three days before the documentary got out direct that they saw the BBC article went out and they got in touch with me. They came in name. They were interested in speaking to us, interested in working with us, wanting to use our suggesting they, they are interested in potentially using our content on YouTube because we've got faces on there of people talking straight to the camera. And I said, yeah, if you want any of that, I said, just let me know. I said, they're all my mates. They're my colleagues. They're, they're good pals of mine who are on the feature and everything I do. And I'm, I'm very, I very much look at my network of people and the, and the people, and maybe yourself, Kay. I said, I treat these people like they're all friends. I, the colleagues, to me, colleagues is just a fancy word you have if you work in an office world. But <laughs> I said, but the construction, <laughs> I said, we're all, we're all mates. We're all at, we're, we're each other more than we are our own mates. We're each other more than our own families. Um, and I just got to this point that I was thinking like, the HSC said that. And I was like, why Why don't you, you've got entities out there, organisations that are earning, being raising millions of pounds every year, um, earning in the commercial world, I suppose, companies that are earning millions of pounds, other charities that are raising hundreds of thousands, millions and millions of pounds. Why aren't you asking these guys for it? I said, we're funded, construction sport is ultimately funded through me. Um, and I've had a couple of businesses on the side and a few events that we've had going now and they've they're, and they're, they've come into fruition and they're helping a lot. But we haven't got any direct staff behind us. We haven't got a team. I've, I still run my own company. That's why I'm here tonight. Literally, I'm on site tonight. Um, yeah. People I don't show. I don't show much of that world in the, on on, um, on on LinkedIn. I've, I, I just kind of it's the, my passion is on LinkedIn and I have a job that pays me bills in the background. But the idea of it is to all transition to a certain degree where where it can all kind of help. Um, but I want to build this this charity side thing where it's just shown that we're really doing stuff on the ground. But I just, when I said to the health and safety that I then emailed them back and said that I'm, I'm more than happy to cooperate. You just let me know what you want. You let us know what you want people on the site to talk about. You give us the topic. I'll put the camera in front of people I know and they'll talk and they'll talk. And I'm not 
blow me on trumpet. I said, but they'll talk because I've asked them to talk. I said, I've got a good, very good relationship with a lot of very good people on the ground. And I said that they will talk for me. And they've always said it. And then people, big lads come out and they speak for me and they will stand up for me and they will do anything they can what helps support us. And um, that's one thing I've, I've, I've kind of, yeah, really, really proud of actually, to be honest. And um, the, the way the boys do. And, and then I literally went back to them with an email saying that and then I've just got nothing back it's just gone blank again and then really? it's just gone quiet and I, I just got they sent me over there's this another bugbear I keep saying I've got a couple of bugbears but now I've got quite a few of them actually and they're all coming out <laughs> um, cartoons that's what drives you, Steve. That's what yeah. drives you. Yeah, it is. Yeah, good. we've got the. You need these bug. Without these bugbears, you wouldn't have set up your company, and you wouldn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's what yeah. drives you. It was cartoons. We're using animation to try and cooperate, tell people how to live their lives and be real with fake marketing. <laughs> to me, it works for rehearsal stuff. I, I get it works in 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 marketing worlds where stuff is needs to be showcased and ways and even to like displays or we've probably had it start shift briefings when they acting stuff out and all that it works i said but this is real lives we're dealing with here i said all you can do is show these guys a little bit of respect and show real emotion real emotive um media and i said we need to and it needs to be hit hard hitting it needs to be impactful and people need to realize that this shit is real, basically. Like it's not getting easier. It's not getting. It's not getting easy anytime quick. We know that. We know what the world's in. But I said, I had one sent to me, and I got got it. And they said, Steve, you're interested. HSC have sent me one. I had one from was it Own Mind? I saw it. I just called them all out. The Own Mind have come along. A lot of stuff. The HSC, what they're doing with the lighthouse with mates in all all this animated stuff. And I was like, this is so disrespectful. I said, I went home that night and I had my little girl on my lap, and I literally put the, t- the TV on, and then. uh literally up pops his character and I was like I recognise that little bastard I was like oh. it's the same animation on my 18 month old girls on CBBs transferred a few different colours like for like on this other thing oh, and I was no. like why are we being given cartoons for to literally tell us how to live our lives and ultimately it was like cartoons are for kids we all know that we all like the Simpsons every now and then maybe Futurama or whatever but this stuff is real, and why aren't we? Why aren't we? And then, from the last few weeks of what we're discovering now, is what is being done to change the law? Nothing. There's literally mental health first aid England are just flogging courses like this going out of fashion. They're earning absolutely millions and millions of pounds. And what's happened since their courses have gone out? It's just got worse, and it's got worse. And I know and I can't talk for everyone, and I know there's cases of that person done that and it saves someone's life and if it saves one life it's worth it but we've got to look a little bit in the bigger picture and say we can't saving one life out of however many it is isn't enough so this is just wrong what what is this is this picture is beyond just one person you know what i mean and it's a tough subject and people do and that's probably why i don't really get many people moaning at me or or competing against it because it is a hard conversation an argument about but i'm just like it's Mm -hmm. the most real conversation we can have but why is the law not being challenged? Why is the HSC not being challenged? Why are they not being told you're negligent? I said, this is negligence. You know people are killing themselves and you're not changing legislation. You're not taking it to the powers that be. Businesses are under too much pressure. I've seen that because it's not the ground workers or the workforce of any description. It's and it's not the businesses, and I see it from my business side of it. Is we're just chasing just to be paid, and everybody's chasing it, chasing it, 
chasing a program when you're a day ahead on a program all they do is bring the program in and make it tighter and then and there's no and i always say this in comparison to sport and also i had this with another a few military guys i said no disrespect but for sport you get pre-season and then military i get this and all due respect but i said at the same time i said you can go on tour and it will be horrific but in our point of view i think our one that we don't get any pre-season we don't get any downtime a lot of us will work over christmas over new year's all the weekends that we don't have a long period of time and if we do have it we have a week and we go away and we get drunk as skunks for a week and then we come back <laughs> with literally holiday blues but it's just that we don't get this time Steve, so why I mean, yeah why is legislation that, that's ultimately what I, i'm gunning for i, I want, I want yeah. business to realize is we're not against any businesses at all I, I want i understand that in a way that when we hit the hse with this and when they when they agree with us and do something about it that will unlock some form of funding or some kind of budget mm. malarkey. I don't know how you even say that at that level. It's way above me. But companies will be given time to build into their tenders to show that they've got to support yeah. more people. And that ultimately probably unlock a lot more money for these companies. And just like safety is now with high-vis jackets and still toe-cap boots and all the safety procedures, all it's done is it's made the, com- the industry a safer place. And... I could rub it on all day long about it. <laughs> no, no. And, and do you know what, Stevie? You're so passionate about it. And so whenever I listen to you, even when I was watching you in your documentary, and it's just, you're just so right. And you kind of sit there and you go, and a bit like you said, people don't argue back because what can you say? When you're dealing with people's lives, when you're dealing with people's mental health, and that's those are the facts, what can you say? You can't say anything. You can't bring these people back. You can't put a plaster over it. It's not that fixable. What I'm interested in with you is with construction sport, obviously you're trying to do this. You're trying to make people's lives better. You're trying to change yeah. it. Can you give people an overview of what you do? Because like I said, before I watched your documentary, I wasn't really sure. And I, I mean, I follow yep, you and cool. I look at your stuff and I'm thinking it looks great, you know, but I didn't really understand the concept of it. But yeah. after that, it really hit home to me. So I guess if you could just explain it and people yeah. understand it a little bit better. So the first walk we ever done, we walked cross rail, we walked from Reading to Shenfield, 100 miles. And there's one kind of case study on there. One of the guys, I'd done it for my own head because I was playing rugby every weekend and I needed um, an outlet then because I was working weekends. I couldn't play rugby. I, need, I needed a wall to run into sort of thing. And um, I realised I've got to do something. So I said to the lads, I'm going to do this walk. I'm going to put it together who wants to do it. And I'd, I'd literally just done it all because I wanted to do it. And I said, if you just want to come along with it, it'd be brilliant. If not, I'm doing it on my own. Um, just because I knew it was good for my head. But I think even then, mental health and that kind of thing, that topic of it wasn't there. I just knew it was good for my head. I wanted to do it. So um, I'd done that and then convinced a few other, yeah, lads on the ground to pretty much come with me. And then one of the boys is having some real issues at home. Um, his young boy was not well. He'd been in and out of hospital for many years since birth and all this stuff. None of us knew this at the time. And I'd worked with him for four years and we walked for three days and it was tough. It was for 12 hour days walking and that was tough. Um and the third day he put his head down and he was just like, I've got to get this done. I've got to get this done. He said, I'll, I'll lead the way, Steve. I'm getting this done. And when none of us had a question him, and this is another thing, got to talk, got to talk. If problems are bad, you have got to talk. I get that in a certain extent, but some people do not want to talk. Some people just want to crack on no. and do something to just put, get get a bit of grit in the teeth and let someone just get it out by grabbing hold of something and smashing something. You know what I mean? Just, 
not somebody else. Don't do that. I'm not saying provoke this, this no, provoke don't violence, do but yeah. yeah, just like finding a way to get the grip between the teeth and get it out of a positive outcome. And he got through the third day, and at the end of it, he literally misses and his baby were there, his boy there. His boy was probably about six, seven years old then, and uh, he was in tears at the at the finish line in absolute bits, and his missus was, and his boy was there, and it was just. And probably another again, one of these things that will make you never forget him, really. And, I, and he came up to me after and he said, you don't realise what you've kind of made me do. And um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it gets you every time it's in think about it. But he literally said, like, my boy has been in and out of hospital, Steve. He said, I'm the big P-way engineer on the job. I'm covered in oil day in, day out. I'm the big, I'm the voice you hear out there before you, you hear me, before you see me. And we all, we all know these figures, don't we, in the industry, these big people. Mm. And he said, I go home and I'm that same bloke and this big, strong guy for my family and I support them and I do everything I can. I give up the Christmases to put money on the table. I put literally put dinner on the table and I do everything. And he says, I just don't get anywhere to drop my guard. And he said, he said you've given me yeah. this three days to drop my guard. And I was first thing I said to him, Chris, that's a bit deep, mate. I thought we'd have a few Guinnesses. That's all I did. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, and, 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 so you're it, making light of it again, Stephen. Yeah. I know, I know. At that moment, that touched you deeply. So yeah, yeah, and I, that's what I said. I said, stop it. You're going to be all <laughs> and, uh, he, um, and and he did, and that stuck with me again. There's these few things in your life will stick with yeah. you. And he said, just whatever you do, mate, just don't forget me on the next one you do, and. And he just—he's been—he's—he's phoned up and ring me down the week anytime, any time, and he's—he would answer it. He was so thankful, and there was there was out of all of us, everybody was in that boat um, saying thank you to me, and, and I was like, it wasn't supposed to be this. We raised the money for Macmillan because that was the charity of the of the, of the trip. We raised fifteen thousand pounds in a matter of weeks. Um, I pissed all the subbies for it because um, I was a main contractor, so I literally got to do that. So. I was, yeah, sold them all the dream and just took their money and gave it all to Macmillan. So um, <laughs> the um, yeah, and it was uh, and it was just stuck with me. And then I realised that, and every time I done a walk, I then done another one with Kiers and Murphys, and we had a scaffold who'd only been on site for a few weeks, young lad, pretty much a, just a labourer really. He was walking with Phil Hobson, who was the um, director for Kiers, walking with Phil, and they were walking and talking and having a laugh, talking like we are here, literally just the banter. And yeah. just you would have thought there were two mates who had literally been down the pub together for the last three weeks, sort of thing, and uh, or just strolled out the pub drunk, to be honest, the way that everyone was knackered as well. But <laughs> And they realised to me that it's a complete level playing ground out here. And then when we went back on site then, they, the director and the scaffolder are over there on the table having lunch together, having a laugh. And people are looking around like, what's, oh, he's, what's it, why is he in his pocket? What's he doing? Like that thing, but a bit envious, really, and thinking, why is he talking to him? He shouldn't be talking to him. You know, he's a director and he's a scaffolder. These people don't get seen in the same room, let alone on site together. Mm. Um, and it was just one of them. It just drew this, it's what it wiped away all these titles from people. And, um, that was one. I had another one um, probably hit me on the documentary, actually, and I only found this out probably six months ago from it. But th- I literally said to a lad, three, two, three, before COVID, said that we're playing rugby on Thursday. I've got a team together. I need you. Are you playing? Yeah. And he messaged me back very quickly. I'm there, mate. I'm there. And um, and that was it. That was it. I found out two years later, literally six months ago, he was in a position where he literally had a noose in his hand, he reckons. He was in his bedroom thinking about how he could do things. And he literally said to me, Steve, he said, you messaged me and snapped me out of it. He said, what you did, that message it. And he hit, when he hit me with that, it knocked me for six. Again, I was, uh, I was like, geez, Scott, I said, don't go so deep with me, please. <laughs> but he was one of them. But it, when he said that, and even when it came across in the documentary, when I found that out, I just thought, 
this is tough. And um, and I realised there's more to this than just a kickabout. Um, why aren't we doing this? And when I was 16, I nearly joined the Royal Marines because of a, a skiing advert. I love skiing. I always have done. I'm not some middle-class rich man who goes because my family loves skiing. I was very much me and my dad were in a hostel in, 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 in the rough ends of Austria but we like the skiing so don't think I'm no yeah I'm, no, I'm not from Eton I, d- I don't know whether I believe you now Steve you're like one of them CEOs who tells me they grew up in a council estate <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly that yeah I was sitting, I was sitting yeah but it's alright now I've got a moat around my house now I'm alright I'm yeah, guarded I've got yeah, in there. So, um, yeah it was just one of them I was just like um, I nearly joined the Marines off the back of this skiing advert and then that I never realised at the time. And then, then there was another exhibition with construction sport and Saracen's Rugby Club wanted to sponsor us for what we were doing because it was touching on, it was a UK construction week actually, four, three, four years ago. Mm-hmm. We just had a bit of a touch rugby tournament going on in the exhibition. And Saracen's wanted to sponsor me. And um, and then they did she, in, that, in those couple of weeks, it kind of all come together that I realised that, so we used to be called Let Off Steam. Six years ago, it was called Let Off Steam. And then two, three years ago, we transitioned over to construct, rebranded to construction sport. So, but at the same time, when Saracen said that to me, I literally thought, why do they want to sponsor a construction exhibition? This is interesting. And then um, had the crack with them. And they said, yeah, we have a, a lot of our um, sponsorship and advertisement and all that kind of stuff on, on in the corporate world of sport is all construction companies. And then I went to every single website Every single kind of a, a homepage of every rugby club in the British in the, in the English Premiership, and everyone had a construction in the background. If it wasn't on the front of the centre of the shirt, so Northampton had Travis Perkins, Gloucester had Dewsons, Saracens. I think Saracens and Randstad were playing a part as well in the time with the construction side of it, as well as as well as other recruitment. But they, they had a few other ones as well. They're not so prominent ones. London Irish was pretty in the ninety odd percent. So that was there's a hell of a lot there. Power Day, we do a lot of work with now. Actually, were great. They've um them and Kelp Ray are all behind their VGC sponsor them. There's all these companies that we, we with myself and yourself as well, Katie, we work with these people day in, day out. And every single one I had, and I was like, hang on a sec. So this is there's something more real. I was like, the love and passion for sport is here. And now going back to when I was wanted to go skiing because I wanted to go join the Marines because I wanted to ski for a living. What if I was to use that sporting element with this industry was full of passion for sport and use this to create these adverts for the 16 year old me and show that you love rugby we can get you to, we played at Saracens six weeks ago it was great they've been brilliant for us Saracens now London Irish we're speaking with them well and there's a lot of announced stuff but yeah but there's some great meetings coming up in the next few months off the back of just that one event and what I'm realising is we like I, I put it together I sent to the boys I said that we're going to play at Saracens again sorry I'm divulging again but we're going to play at Saracens. Um, and literally, I said to five guys I knew at different parts of London and said, can you go out and find some lads? I've now got a group of 50 rugby players in the construction industry on a WhatsApp group. And it's a community of lads having a laugh and enjoying themselves and knowing that construction sport is mental health and wellbeing based. And when they all shook my hand after the game and said, thank you, it meant more than just thank you for the kickabout. You can see it in the boys' eyes when, when we've done it. And yeah. That is what what it means to to the lads and and literally and the ladies as well. We're getting involved. We're getting these girls. Got to get keep us all going. So we, we said that the other day. Actually, so we're gonna yeah. There's a we need to get more in the netball scene for a few girls. There's a few girls that touch rugby scenes. Been a big one actually. But uh, yeah, we're gonna lead the way on that. Katie. The um 
Yeah, and it's like, what can we do? But, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so all, all these, and going back again, all these, all these, all these uh, teams are all funded by big corporate um, construction companies. And I just yeah. thought the passion's there. There's got to be a way of flipping it on its head and using that passion for sport to help the workforce. Then I started looking at the military's avenue of it, and the, the fire brigade, the police force, the prison service, the ambulance service, the armed police service. There's all different sections to all these um, entities, the insurance world, the banking world. They've all got industry communities of, of sports organisations within them. Mm. And construction had zero. You get the odd Dave in the office is going to do a five-a-side once a year. And it's great, brilliant. But there was no one heading it up. And I was like... We're funding. We're, at the moment, the rugby premiership is literally being held up by construction. Um, why aren't we using this? We can use this to help everyone. This not only helps the mental health of people, this interests the youth of tomorrow into construction. And now this last six years has been me trying to think this mad idea what's generated from what I've just said. How can we make this work? And I'm still plugging away now, but we, we really have, in the last few months, we've got a, a little membership set up going on. We had many, we've got a few membership kind of schemes that we've looked at, but it's been so hard to adapt to one company um, because how different every company is, isn't it? I've, the last few weeks, we've had lawyer, law firms in, on, in touch with us. We've had, um, we've had law firm, we've had yeah, all the suppliers companies, we've had um, insurance companies, uh, um, catering companies, all these things. And everyone says, is it, if we're not actual ground workers, I know I'm like, yeah, but you help the industry go around. Your clients yeah. who are in the sector, if you can help us, we can help everyone. And it's all coming together now. So I just said to them that we're setting up a now, it's going to be, it's called the 100 Club. And it's literally 100 pounds for a company a month just to support us and let us yeah. help support them and bring all these events to the table. So the idea is that is we're, we're not here to make a load of money. We just want to make a real core cool organization which just literally helps and helps and helps really. So we're nearly there. Steve, I, don't, I don't think you're there to make a lot of money. I don't get that vibe of it because if you were there to make a lot of money, you oh, wouldn't be doing yeah. this because oh, oh. the amount of work that it mm. takes to sustain something like this, as well as your day job. Yeah, I mean, we're sat here talking tonight at nine o'clock at night because you want to talk about what you do and you're passionate about it. Yeah, and the way I see it is you're helping construction heal. You're giving yeah. us a way to heal. And I, I commend mm. you for that. I honestly, I after watching your documentary and listening to you today, I, I feel passionate about what you do. Yeah, <laughs> I feel super passionate about what you do, and I'm so glad that there's people out there giving up their free time because it is your free time yeah. to help other people. Yep. Yeah, I, I could talk to you forever, but I I know Andrew. Um, although I probably shouldn't mention Andrew, but I know he he want me to cut it a bit short, but um. <laughs> yeah no thank you for the master, i have the master. one more question for you the master andrew i have one more question for you yeah if that's okay i didn't do it what's one thing we can all do to make the construction industry better smile how about that <laughs> that's I like a smile it. i like it yeah. I like People. it. No, no it's a good one. I, no I've one been wants. asking, uh, that's but the one thing I ask everyone at the end of our chats is what's one thing we could do, all do, to make the construction industry a better? A smile is infectious. Yeah. No, no one likes a miserable bastard. But thank you. <laughs> <laughs> 
no, they definitely don't. They definitely don't want that. But I, I, I could sit here and talk to you all night. But I, I hate to cut you short. But I want to thank you so much for coming on and spending this time with me and going through all this because I've certainly learned a lot, and I, I think the audience will as well. No, and to be honest, Kay, I suppose when I. I kind of come to the scene trying to push this now, thinking over the last few years and stuff, it's people like yourself um, and Christina's on the first one, and seeing that these figures out there in the industry are being recognised. So there is a place, there is a place for people to be to get their head above the parapet, isn't it? So no, thank thank you for everything you you do in your in your space because yeah, it is noticed. I know we obviously bumped into each other over the last few years and stuff, and it's uh no, I'm I'm really pleased this is all working out for you. So it's um yeah, thank you and thanks to all the listeners, the millions. The millions <laughs> is hoping, but thank yeah. you so much. Top stuff. Thank you, Katie.